0: This week's episode of the Bella News Podcast is brought to you by Travel Texas, which reminds riders around the country that Texas is one of the best places to ride and race bikes. In Austin, folks race their bikes at the Weeknight Austin Driveway Series, one of the largest and most dynamic racing communities in the country. There are races for the pros, the weekend warriors, and even the kids. You might even spot Unbound Gravel winner Colin Strickland or world tour rider and Olympian Lawson Craddock there. The Tour de France just ended, but San Antonio is already set to host La Tap San Antonio by the Tour de France in 2022. This event, with three different distances, is put on by ASO, the same organization that runs the Tour de France. Although La Tap hosts events all over the world, La Tap San Antonio will be the first event of its kind in the United States. And of course, you don't need an event to explore and enjoy Texas. From the flat coastal cruises around Corpus Christi Bay to wildflower loops in the Texas hill country, there's a riding adventure for every skill level. Let's ride. Let's Texas. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome back to the News podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you from the actual... World Headquarters of Velo News here in Boulder, Colorado. It is a quiet day around the office. I am sitting in some corner office somewhere. I hope the owner of this office does not come back and interrupt the podcast. If that happens, I will vacate and have to go back to my lowly cube. Uh, we have so much to talk about on the podcast today. We have two interviews with Olympians. woo on the podcast today, we have Amber Nieben, who recently finished fifth place in the individual time trial, ageless Amber Nieben, uh, 46 years young, and she talks to us all about her experience over there. We also have Haley Batten, ninth place in the women's cross-country mountain bike race, and Haley has some great perspective to share with us on her experience at the race, as well as one of the big topics swirling around this year's Olympics, which is athlete mental health pressure, both internal and external pressure, and how she has navigated uh, that larger topic. So thanks so much to Amber Niebin and Haley Batten coming on the podcast today. Before we get to them, though, we're going to break down all of the action that we have been seeing at the Olympics over the last five or six days or so. And my co-host today, Saivo Shea, has been watching The race is live. I mentioned on the podcast last week that I have been trying and failing because they're at odd hours. But Sive has just been glued to the live stream and the television and the commentators. and has been soaking up so much Olympic content. Sive, thanks for coming on the podcast today.
1: Thanks for having me. We're watching so much cycling.
0: I know. You know. When you think back the last few days, with the track program having started and the women's time trial, which we're about to get to, like, what are the real standout moments in your cycling viewing that made you like leap out of your seat and throw popcorn into the air in a you know comedic style uh, scene that everyone at home would just laugh at? What what have been those moments?
1: The end of both of the the men's and the women's time trials were incredible to watch. There was very little suspense in terms of who was going to win, but it was just, it was amazing to watch two riders, um, perform at that level. Um, and on the track program, uh, the opening day was, uh, incredible. Um, the team pursuit, Germany, uh, I don't really have enough words for what Germany have done over the last few days and watching them like break the world record three times and do a four oh four in the final was like i think that kind of made me punch the air um and uh, yeah it was it was incredible to watch um conversely watching g b and team u s a in the qualifying rounds kind of really crack in a way that I haven't seen very often um you know it was it was quite unusual but then to see them kind of turn things around for for round one and um the final events today um yeah, that was that was quite the the journey that they took us on.
0: Now, how did you how did you navigate the mental, emotional uh, pressures of that working for an American publication, but then also being a person who I actually we've never had this conversation. If you identify as a GB or as uh, Irish, I know in the Isle of Man, it's sort of, uh, you know, it's sort of you can like throw a dartboard at the wall and say, well, I feel like a Brit today or I feel, you know. I feel Irish. Um, how have you? How did you navigate the the rivalry there and who to who to root for?
1: Well, fortunately, um, despite the accent that I have, um, I identify as very much Irish. So um, <laughs> it often in the Olympics leaves me in a very neutral position watching an awful lot of events, which is um, which is a quite nice way of going into it. I kind of go in with very little expectations in terms of. Performances. Um, we do have some Irish athletes who are going to be racing later on in the week, which will be good to watch. And I have some I have some high expectations, but you know, going up against the likes of GB, the USA in the Netherlands, you know, they're slightly tamponed down Um, so yeah, I was I was watching that as a neutral, um, and it was, yeah, the it was a fascinating contest between the USA and Team GB, um, in that round one contest, you know, both teams, like I said, had kind of struggled in qualifying, had cracked and, um, they both lost one rider and then started splitting up. Um, and in that round one, you kind of saw them getting back to their usual selves and, um, you know, the team USA came out, out of the traps really strong. Um, And GB made a slightly slower start. And then in that middle section, it was this kind of tit for tat battle. You know, USA would go a little bit quicker than GB would go a little bit quicker. Um, So it was it was actually as a neutral, a, a great contest to watch.
0: Just cheering for the performance. I love it. I would not have been able to, uh, I know, I would not have been able to put my national affiliation away. I would have been yelling and screaming at the, at the TV. You know, I feel like the women's team pursuit is a good place to start our analysis and discussion because there was so much pressure and so much attention placed on the American team. You know, they are the reigning world champions, silver medalists from Rio de Janeiro. They've had this complete overhaul and rebuilding of the program with Jennifer Valente and Chloe Dygert coming back from 2016. And Sarah Hammer retiring and then the tragic uh, passing of Kelly Catlin opening this um, space to bring in new blood and we've covered this extensively on the site and written about it and asked people about it and agonized about it and here it was the moment of truth and they win bronze, which I see as a big I, I see it as a success for them it's probably not what they wanted you know they came in really gunning for gold but the real story of this race was the Germans completely. Dominating everyone, fastest in qualifying, winning the gold medal, never losing a round, and just looking really crisp. And the struggles of Team GB and of the United States when matched with how good the Germans were um, brought about a conversation that we had off air that I thought was a really interesting one, which was about the preparation for this Olympics. You know, one of the challenges that the American team faced was that they actually haven't raced. In an international competition since the 2020 uh, World Championship, since like the month before the COVID pandemic swept across the world because travel was so difficult. And there were a few international competitions here and there, but they played it safe and didn't want anyone to get sick. And so they've they've just been training Um, GB. I think they've maybe been able to compete once or twice since then. But Germany, uh, by contrast, had a bunch of riders who were like road racers, international road racers, racing a lot, you know, week in, week out. And um, Saif, I mean, how did you how are you thinking about this now, the success of, of Germany versus the struggles of these two other programs?
1: Um, it's it's really interesting. I mean, you know, we don't we don't know so much about what they've got put into the program. I do know that Germany have put in some very strong performances over the last kind of year, two years um, in in the World Cups. But, um, you know, the performance that they put in and the level of performance that they put in was quite, um, still quite surprising, you know, going up against Team USA, the um, reigning world champions, Team GB, reigning Olympic champions, two teams that have really dominated that discipline over the last few years. But like, as you said, you know, Team Germany, they came in with a strong bunch of road riders that have been able to get competition in, like, under their legs. Now, like, they obviously haven't done a ton of track, but they've had those efforts that, you know, that you can only really get when you actually get into competition. Um, And, you know, training, training into big events like this is always a bit of a risk because you don't know how it's going to work out on the day. You can only do so much in training when you haven't got another team going up against you. Um, so yeah, it was really interesting to see Germany do so well with riders that have been racing kind of pretty much week in week out. Um, you know, the only rider that isn't really a road rider is Francisca Browser, you know, that she's the only kind of, Almost predominant track rider, whereas the rest of the team—Lisa Brenauer, Lisa Klein, Mika Kroger—you know—they're strong riders and they're getting a lot of racing in throughout the year, um, and. Yeah, I think perhaps that paid off in delivering that performance in Tokyo today.
0: Yeah, and it's it's an interesting question because I posed that question to Gary Sutton and to some of the other people in the U.S. program about, you know, the lack of racing. And they were very confident that they were able to recreate those race efforts in training. And, you know, the Women's Team Pursuit Squad has been training with each other for months and months and months and, you know, simulating the races and going over the exchanges and doing these hard efforts on the track. But um, I do think there is something to be said about the race pace efforts and, you know, trying to hold a wheel or trying to break away or trying to really psychologically push yourself when uh, there's a lot of stakes on the line where you can you can get to that point that perhaps you cannot get to in the track. And and I know the Americans, you know, said they felt otherwise, but it's it's very difficult to look at the result and you know not search for some type of difference there what blows me away though is that i do believe that racing and training for team pursuit is very important for the nuances of the event, which is the exchanges and the reading the rider's body language. And, you know, this whole feeling of like, it's four people that really have to come together as one on the day and know each other's like, you know, body language and pedal stroke and all these things so they can make these minor adjustments. And, um, you know, team USA was spending so much time like honing in on this and focusing in on this. And I don't know what the German team's preparation or training was for this, but, you know, they, they were able to perform at that level um, and also race on the road uh, very regularly. So that that's just very, it's just a very impressive performance by team Germany.
1: Yeah. One of the, one of the interesting things, actually, that um, I spoke to um, Jason Kenny about a little bit before the um the olympics started jason Kenny is obviously the um team gb cyclist sprinter who took silver in the team sprint today um to become britain's most successful um olympian um yeah he he said that you know it's it's all fair and well doing all that training um but what you don't what you can't put into training is like the weird little frustrations like forgetting something in your bag or having you know having a bit of a slightly disrupted sleep because uh, the hotel room next door was making too much noise or you know the yeah just like the weird little quirks that you don't get on unless you're actually in that competition zone as well kind of all adds up to making training and racing just slightly different which it can be and that's all you need in, in these events like Small margins make massive differences in these events.
0: As well as the pressure. And I mean, that is the overarching conversation around the 2021 Olympics is pressure, external, internal pressure, athlete mental health, whether it's fair to lump all this pressure on these athletes. And I'm with you, you know, if you haven't been doing a full world cup season, if you haven't raced in, you know, more than a year and dealt with that, like that pressure on you, and then you get thrown into the Olympics and it's the biggest race of your life and the most amount of pressure, external, internal pressure on you. Um, as an outsider, I've never been in that situation, but I do wonder if that ends up, uh, playing a role. I mean, legs and lungs are one thing, but Brain and heart and anxiety and all the mental things that go into having you know being able to achieve your best on the day like that's that's completely different and so I don't know it will be interesting to decompress and, and talk with some of the American riders about um, about their ride and their situation I mean they went faster than they went into in 2016 they set new American records they broke the old world record it's just the team gb and team germany did as well so their performance was better but hey you know from a a gold medal perspective it wasn't wasn't the same as team germany
1: yeah and sometimes you know you can you can only account for what you can do um in events like that you know it's not like a road race where there's a little bit of tactics that come into play i mean there are tactics to a certain extent in how you pace things but ultimately like in a time trial it's it's your best effort and if somebody comes in and is just desperately stronger than you then there is not an awful lot that you can do you know (laughs) you can't you can't suddenly get super strong over I mean you could but you probably get told off for that um so yeah you, you you know you can't get super strong over like a day, a night, so, you know, I think, yeah, they probably knew that the writing was on the wall a little bit after seeing what what Germany had laid out in in, uh, the qualifying.
0: Yeah. And it speaks to, you know, again, the larger conversation here. And and I wanted to talk to you about this side, too, because I know that you are, uh, you know, you've you've covered sport for a long time. But I consider you a very thoughtful reporter, too, and also a person who stays up on sort of the existing and the evolving conversations around the coverage of sport and this topic of mental health. And, you know, uh, American gymnast Simone Biles, um, you know, stepping away from some events and saying that, you know, she has inner demons. Mentally, she's not ready for it. Yes, she had some physical problems, but really it was the mental side and sort of this culture war erupting of, oh, you know, athletes are these overpaid people. They should, you know, you, you can't just not show up for work because you need a mental health day. Um, and and how we as media and also fans of the sport fit in into that with putting pressure on our athletes, criticizing them and being critical of their performances when they are not up to where we would like them to be and how that impacts the athlete and, and how that actually impacts us as media. I mean, I think about that as it pertains to USA Cycling, you know, in 2017, USA Cycling laid out this very ambitious goal of seven medals in Tokyo, and they are not going to get that. They're not going to get anywhere close to that. They have two right now and they may end, they may end this Olympics with two, maybe three Olympics. And as media, like, do we, do we criticize USC cycling? Do we criticize the riders? Do we hold them accountable for the goals they set out for themselves Um, or not? Um, I, I, you know, there's no one way to do this right now. And, you know, this is us just having a conversation. And I think that the, you know, where the dial ends up falling on this conversation is yet to be set but I'm really curious your perspective of this side like how do you view this as a a person who follows sport and where when to be you know when to be critical of an athlete for not performing up to where you know their ambitions had been or where people's ambitions had been
1: um okay well there's a lot in there so I mean first of all I mean yeah you said that you know, pe- some people's response will be, "Well, I can't like not turn up for work because I need time for my mental health." But really, you know, we should be looking at ways that people can take space for their mental health, whether they be sports people or like regular Joes. You know, mental health is is important, and taking care of it helps get the best out of people. You know, because ultimately, if you keep grinding down somebody's mental health, is you know. It, it's something's got to give eventually. So, um, you know, inter- physical and mental health is important for everybody to, to get the best out of um, themselves and each other. Um, and in terms of athletes, I think, you know, they're not robots. They, you know, they are, while they do these incredible feats that us mere mortals look at and are like, you know, wow, I could never even dream of doing that. You know, they they do have these capabilities of doing the what we kind of see as superhuman, but they're still humans, and um, so you know they're they have the ability to have moments where they don't feel great, they don't feel um, like they can do things. And while sometimes that might be just a crisis of com- confidence that needs nurturing, sometimes you know it's it's in the the better well-being of the rider or the the athlete to to take them out of a situation and give them time to recover as if we might let them recover from a a broken bone or you know something else like that or an illness um and as with with normal people doing that helps people get better if they know that they're they're in an environment that they're looked after then it can can help them um improve and yeah in terms of knowing when to to kind of criticize performances, I think they're still within this space of taking care of people's mental health there there's still room to criticize performances and take apart performances provided it's done in a in an actual constructive way and is done with the intent of actually analyzing it and not just laying into a person um you know there's there's still, there's still room to do that.
0: One thing I think about as it, you know, as it relates to cycling is that one of the challenges with cycling is that, you know, performance comes from repetition and the ability to push yourself in training to, to levels that like many of us would deem unhealthy, you know, talking to the track athletes, they're like, yeah, you know, the part of the, training for track is like going out there and pushing yourself to an effort where like you're, you're blind or you can't talk or your body's non-functional, you know, and, and yes, we're talented and we have these legs and lungs and, uh, circulatory systems that are in the 0.1%, but really what it is, is this ability and training to like push yourself to where no one would ever, ever push themselves, um, because it would be too painful and too uncomfortable. And like doing that again and again and again and like training your body to be able to go there. And so being able to walk this razor's edge or with road cycling, which is like, you know, pushing yourself in training to these levels where it's uncomfortable and it's repetitive and it's boring and it's, you know, it, it's not glamorous. Like some of the, some of the preparations required for, especially endurance sports are highly unglamorous. And, um, yet we, we lump praise on these people when, They succeed and, you know, they accomplish what they want to accomplish. And so there's this feedback loop of, you know, pushing yourself and doing things that are uncomfortable and doing things that inherently will probably lead to, could lead to burnout or could lead to like mental, emotional fatigue with the carrot at the end of the stick, which is, um, praise and championships and, you know, I don't really, you know, do you, do you get rid of the praise? Do you get rid of the championships? Do, do you do that to disrupt this cycle? Um, I, I just think been thinking a lot about this as, you know, I, I think there's small things that we as societies and journalists and, and fans can do to like alleviate some of the pressure on, thing, on, on these people. But when you look at the system in general, which is a system that rewards, you know, maniacal adherence to a highly unglamorous and emotionally taxing lifestyle, Um, I don't know if that's ever going to be disrupted.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, with, with sport, there's always this goal, this desire that you, you have to be the biggest, the greatest, the best, which you don't kind of get in the same way in the majority of society. I mean, obviously to a certain extent you still get it, but, you know, people can happily live their lives um, achieving what they want to achieve. And it doesn't have to be the greatest of anything. Um, and in sport that's, that's a little bit different. Um, I think to a certain extent you can keep that, but, but also, um, I, 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 without kind of, yeah, you can keep that without pushing the, the pressure on, um, so much, and you can work with athletes to talk through any issues that arise. I mean, I know that GB um, for a long time had um, a psychologist in Steve Peters that worked with an awful lot of the athletes and and helped them through an awful lot of those kind of inner demons that they they struggled with. I know that uh, Victoria Pendleton the GB sprinter struggled sometimes with her mental health, and um, working with somebody like Peters, or you know, a having a, a sports psychologist around that kind of works as this ear for for athletes um, is, I think, a very is a very good way of um, you know easing easing that pressure mm-hmm. on people
0: from a criticism and an analysis standpoint I to to bring it back around to you know what we're seeing here in the United States and the success and failures of the Americans in Tokyo you know with this ambitious goal of seven medals it's really interesting because I do think from an anal- analytic standpoint you can point to a number of different things that have attributed to why America won't get two seven medals. Um, you know, the crash of Chloe Digert at the 2020 World Championships, this catastrophic moment that there's no way you could predict it, that there's no way you could ever predict that, like, she would slide along a guardrail and it would cut her um, leg muscles to, you know, to only a thread being left. And it, that would happen, you know, less than 10 months before the Olympics. Um, you can't predict that. But that has this huge effect where now all of a sudden there's no medal in individual time trial, whereas she was, you know, a real shoe in and, you know, she had a good ride, but it's unquestionable that that injury and the the short recovery time impacted, um, that then for women's team pursuit, you know, she is the strongest member of that squad. She's the anchor. Um, and she was stronger than the other riders, but Hey, was she at 110% usual Chloe Diger speed? Maybe not. And so that potentially has an impact there Um, in BMX, you know, Connor Fields having this tragic, awful crash, and we all hope that he makes a full recovery from that. But, you know, it's tough to, it's tough to predict that, Um, that eliminates a potential medal there. Um, And we're going to have to see with the rest of the track program and, you know, mountain biking, a big, crazy monsoon rainstorm, hitting the track the night before the event and transforming it into this muddy quagmire where, you know, the American riders who maybe were a little bit better in dry conditions don't do as well there. So I think there are individual things that you, elements about this Olympics that you can look at. I think you can step back and look at the wider picture and say, well, you know, since 2017 until now, USA Cycling has undergone a major leadership change. It's had a a challenge with funding and there was COVID and, you know, there was a complete change of its athletic department in terms of who was in charge of it and um you know how those structural changes impacted the metal readiness of the squad I don't know if I'm prepared to make a to, to opine one way or the other, but I know that went on as well um but you can't deny the fact that there was this goal set out seven medals and then there's the outcome which is going to be far fewer than that and um, you know, as, as media, we can always point to that and look into that and, and be critical of it, but, um, whether or not that means then pointing the fingers at the athletes, I think that's, there's a big difference there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, there, there was, this, there's certainly been a, a level of misfortune for, for Team USA that really could not have been predicted, um, ahead of the competition. Um, like you say, Chloe Diger injuring her leg in such a way that, you know, even her being at the Olympic Games really is a, a success story in itself when you consider the injuries that she sustained at the Worlds and that awful crash of Connor Fields. Um, I think um, Elise, uh, Elise Willoughby also crashed um, heavily in her, um, her heats in the BMX and um yeah yeah i think that team usa will go away disappointed with with what they've achieved i mean there was there was a lot of potential for for a decent a decent medal haul across the the various disciplines and um there's going to be an awful lot of questions i think yeah the, the yeah they're they're going to be having to go back to the drawing board and try and figure out whether or not some of what went wrong could have been prevented. Um, you know, the, having certainly in in um, the road racing, not necessarily rely, having to rely on just that one rider and building up a base of strong riders that will, you know, can perform so that if one rider crashes out, you haven't just, got nothing. And the same in the BMX, you know, with Connor Fields um, crashing out, you know, the team was, had some, some decent options going in, but ultimately in the end, um, Connor Fields crashing out meant they had nothing. Um, And so that's possibly something that Team USA will have to look at is building that, expanding that base. And there is certainly some promise within that, um, but it's just not here for Tokyo.
0: Hey, before we get to our interviews, Saif, I wanted to get your take on the uh, two time trials. Um, first of all, Annemiek van Vluten, you know, just smashing it, winning the gold medal, um, you know, being very happy about it. When you look at her career and the ups and downs, I mean, how do you frame this victory in, in the greater context of Annemiek van Vluten?
1: It's It's kind of like the... Well, from from the road race, which I felt like was a bit of a closure of a chapter in her Olympic career, that time trial is almost like the opening of the next one. And um, when you look at Van Vluten's career, she's had a very long, you know, fairly illustrious career. But her time is kind of being one of these big hitters on the mountains. Really started back in 2016 with Rio, um, and I remember speaking to her a few years ago. When we were talking about Rio, and I was asking her questions about the crash, and she was like. Well, no, but for me, Rio's not about the crash. It's about the fact that I I was climbing well and I was in that winning position, you know, and so obviously she was disappointed that she crashed out when she was in in the kind of mix for a gold medal in the road race. It kind of sparked the beginning of her kind of trajectory to becoming kind of this dominant world beater cyclist that she is. So, um, and then, yeah, that time trial win kind of feels like the next, the next stage of her career. Um, You know, it's that positive beginnings um, towards, you know, what she's going to do next. She's now got that Rio monkey off her back um, in the, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, huge, huge result for her. And, um, you know, I was, I I came into it, I think it was going to be a big showdown with her and Vanderbregen and um, Vanderbregen had a good ride. I don't know if Vanderbregen was at her best. You know, I think that there may be some, you know, she dominated the Giro so thoroughly and had such a full racing campaign up to this point. There's part of me that, um, you know, wonders if, if that factored into her performances at this race, Van Vluten did skip the Giro and just spent her time preparing for this. She was, you know, very strong in the road race and very strong in the individual time trial, but, um, you know, huge result for her. And then men's side, I, I was very happy to see Roglitch win, you know, salvaging something from this year after that, Disappointing Twitter friends. I love that he just like kept going once he crossed the finish line. It was like he was so motivated that he's just like, "I'm gonna." I-,
1: I did wonder if he was gonna like do like another lap. He didn't. He didn't look like he was ready to get off. Maybe he was just making sure that he he got the right finish line. Maybe he wasn't quite aware. But it was yeah, it was a phenomenal performance by him. And kind of you know, speaking of mental health and all of that, you know, he's he's shown some great mental resilience, um, and an ability to kind of deal with, you know, major disappointments. Um, I don't, I'd love to know how he does it. Um, I think that would be interesting to kind of delve into the brain of Primoz Roglic um, and figure out how he like, cause he's had so many major disappointments over the last um, kind of year and a half. And to, to be able to just come back and do, do what he did um, God, it feels like three months ago now, but it was only last week. Um, uh, yeah, it was it was really impressive.
0: And echoing on that, to see Tom Dumoulin get, get uh, a silver medal, you know, um, he famously stepped back from cycling this year. Uh, mental health reasons and, you know, feeling like he wasn't mentally, emotionally in the game and to see him build up and get a medal. Uh, he was second in um, Rio de Janeiro as well. And then hearing comments coming out of the Yumbo Visma camp that he's back on board and is ready to get cracking at it. I felt like that was a really positive development from that race as well. So, I mean, there are going to be a lot of things that we will remember about this Olympics. I think on next week's podcast, we're going to do a final Olympic sort of debrief of some of the races, but, um, you know, within the bike races, lots of cool performances. But I think one of the things I will remember will be this conversation about athlete mental health and what it ultimately ultimately leads to.
1: Yeah, I'm hopeful that, you know, what we, you know, because the Olympics is such a ubiquitous event that this conversation about around mental health will kind of peter out into the outside world as well. You know, it's not just going to be something that's about sport. It's about everybody um, because mental health and difficulties with it affects everybody.
0: Well, Sive O'Shea, thank you so much for co-hosting the podcast with me this week. Um, we are now going to hear from Amber Nieben and then Haley Batten. Okay. Now on the podcast, it's Amber Nieben. Amber, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Thanks for having me, Fred. Always fun to talk to you.
0: So, Amber, we're um, we're recording this on a Friday, and so we're four or five days removed from the individual time trial and you've had a few days to reflect on the ride and the performance and everything like that. And I'm curious where you are with it um, at this point, you know, everything from the result to the effort, to the experience.
2: Good questions. Um, And it's always nice to have some time to reflect. I think starting with, starting with the effort, um, I left it all out there. I I had a really, I think I had a really good ride. I, technically I was sound, my pacing was good. Um, You know, you can always think of some little things. Uh, there's a little back and forth with uh, the Danish rider I caught where I lost some time, but it's just like, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know that there's much I could have done differently. I, I went with everything I had. I left it out there. I was pretty cooked when I finished. and. So in that sense, happy with the effort. Um, when you look at the result, it's just like, ah, oh, it's it's a combination of like, wow, I just got fifth place at the Olympics at age 46. And oh my gosh, I was 11 seconds from a medal. I was 16 seconds from silver. You know, I was just like, I was right there. And so it's both it's both exciting and, and really cool. And at the same time, it's just like, man, I went to medal and I was so close. and. Yeah. So it's, it's both, it's both cool and, and hard at the same time.
0: Now, do those emotions come at you uh, equally in the same time or are there points where one emotion is stronger than the other? I'm really curious the balance between that emotion of being happy that you left everything out there, but you know, uh, you know, the, the crushing feeling of it having been so close.
2: Yeah. I think they both kind of, for whatever reason, they come at the same time where it's this back and forth that happens where I, I mean, I, I'm really good at trying to keep things in perspective. And yeah, it was, I think it would be different if I had, you know, not had a great race um, or if there were some major mistakes in the race, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it would be a lot harder to, to, to deal with. But as I, I keep going back, I'm like, where, what could I have done differently? And, I mean, I don't know. I, the belt, the um, back and forth with the Danish rider, the guys in the car behind me were like, you probably lost five seconds there. You know, I had the regret of leaving my heart straight strap on, but was that, was that 11 seconds? I don't know. Probably not. So in that sense, it's like, you know, I did everything I could and I just got beat on the day.
0: Now, aside from the race, what are some memories and scenes from the actual experience over there, especially the behind the scenes experience over there that, um, that are still pretty vivid or that you think you're always going to remember?
2: Yeah, you know, this, this Games was so different than the previous two that I've been to. Um, I mean, just the, the airport experience. So, like, we land, and what we went through – at the Narita Airport. We were there with USA Volleyball, the women's team. And there were a few other um, individuals that were in our little group that we went through all the immigration and the COVID testing. And then we sat in a room for hours. It was like an eight hour experience of being stuck in the airport. Um, So that's going to stick. You know, the, the time in the road cycling hotel, we were there with all the, for the most part, the majority of the teams in cycling. So it wasn't quite the village experience, but, you know, just being around those guys, being around the U.S. team and the girls and the guys who had never been to the Olympics. It was fun to see their energy and just their excitement with being an Olympian for the first time. I think those memories will stick. Um, The focus and the, the ability to get out on the Fuji Speedway for me, you know, just the whole process of Going into battle, um, you know, with my coach, the he wasn't there, but we had some fun conversations on the phone. You know, I'll remember those little things, um, conversations with my husband from afar, uh, just the the majestic view of Mount Fuji out my window, uh, and just kind of what it represented. So, just really different stuff, not the normal stuff. Um, I wish I had more cool things to share, to be honest with you, but <laughs> it's just different this year.
0: What do you remember? of the emotion that you felt crossing that finish line? You know, you've had this huge effort, you've left it all out there. You're coming under the line. What do you remember about the feelings you had of that moment?
1: Oh,
2: I was digging. I mean, I was digging for the line. I knew every second, every half second mattered. Um, And then I also knew I was crossing, I had caught my 92nd person. So I, I had a pretty good, idea that I would be finishing you know with the fastest time in the moment I also knew Van Bluten was behind me and so like for a second I was like okay I crossed and I thought okay that was that was an awesome ride and then like I could see Van Bluten was pretty close behind me so I was like oh man she she's gonna take me quick so I went from being in the hot seat to quickly like basically 30 seconds later moving to the second place spot and then from that moment it's just like oh my gosh I'm in you just want to hold on for a medal. And I did this in Doha in worlds. And just, you're just waiting for people to finish and hoping that you don't get knocked to the third spot because then it's like, Oh man, if one more person comes in, then I'm off the medal stand. And yeah, it's just kind of like this, um, this moment of like, Oh, that was a great ride. But at the same time, Oh my gosh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to hold on for a medal. So, and you're, you're empty. Like I was spent, I was empty. Um, so it's just everything goes through your mind and your heart. Mm-hmm. But again, because I, I left everything out there, you know, I had no regrets over anything.
0: One of the interesting elements of this Olympics versus past Olympics because of the um, the, the quarantine and the lack of media access and sort of athletes and media being kept at um, arm's length has been. We've been relying heavily on sort of the like the post day later, like Instagram post where athletes are sharing their feelings in an Instagram versus, you know, being on the finish line and having a reporter be there and sort of, you know, capture the raw emotion. And I, you know, saw you wrote a very long and thoughtful post on your social media to get across the feelings and emotions. And I'm curious your thoughts on the difference there. You've been on in both of those situations, you know, on the finish line, you know, happy or disappointed and having someone get your feelings and your thoughts right at that moment versus having a day or so to process it and write it down your, yourself. Um, what do you make about both, um, both situations and how they are at conveying thoughts and emotion?
2: Yeah, I think both are valuable, you know, in the moment it's like you truly capture that quick reaction and what's, what's first and foremost on the heart and mind of the athlete. So, you know, and probably visually you can see it too. Um, I think probably more so visually you as a reporter would be able to see into the eyes (laughs) of what the athlete is really feeling and perhaps ask a follow up question or a little bit deeper question to pull something out. So I think that maybe gets missed Um, and having some time to reflect. Yeah, I think it's a lot easier to put words together. Sometimes in the moment, it's just like I can't get any words out. You know, I can't really get what's in me out. And what's important out. And so having that 24 hours or a little bit of time to reflect just gives the athlete time to just kind of articulate what they're thinking and feeling better.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, Amber, I mean, this is a big question that I, I wanted to ask you, you know, after the race. Um, is this was this your final race as a professional cyclist?
2: no um so (laughs) here's how relentless I am and I'm just crazy like this but you know I was funny I was sitting in anti-doping with 12 other athletes who were selecting for selected for doping control and I was just I was looking at the results and I that was the moment I realized I was 11 seconds from a medal and I was like are you kidding me and so my first question to my coach was when are worlds um You know, that that fifth place was an automatic qualifier for the for the World Championships. So I'm going to I'm going to take a week and just chill and relax and then put it out there one more time for the World Championships. Then you can ask me that question again. Um, So right now, Worlds is on the target list.
0: Have you thought about what comes next after Worlds? I mean, you know, sort of we had been just talking back and forth over the last few years about. 2020 being this, you know, potential ending point for your career. And then it gets pushed yeah, to 2021 yeah. and I'm really curious where you
2: are with the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I know, and I don't know, um, one of the things that I know I'm going to be a part of is this cool program called base camp where I have the opportunity to, um, mm-hmm. my coach and I can train together with people and help people through an off season of, you know, base camp training type. Um, learning, growing, evolving as, um, you know, whether they're just getting started on the bike or whether they're really advanced in their cycling to take them through four months of training with us. So that's going to happen. And I'm looking forward to that. And then, yeah, I've got some other ideas in mind that I'm trying to figure out how to do. Um, But yeah, it'll be some prayer after the season and just really trying to sort out, is it more of a coaching, mentoring um, role, which I love doing. I love coaching. So I still do a bunch of coaching, Um, And mentoring and working with people um, and just figuring out the best way to do that, whether that's one on one or more of a group setting Um, and then writing. I like to write. So I know I've got some some crazy stories in me and life lessons and just being able to put that on paper and share that with people is something I want to be able to do, too.
0: You know, in your Instagram post, you talked about sacrifices that you had made over the last five years to pursue this dream of one more Olympics. You know, what were some of the sacrifices that you felt you uh, you had to make to to Uh, pursue this?
2: yeah um i think well let me just clarify too i think sacrifices is yeah i guess i don't necessarily see them so much as sacrifices but choices mm-hmm. i always think when you have a when you have a big goal you know the choices you make help move you towards that goal and their choices it's something i wanted to do so yeah it is kind of a sacrifice but at the same time it's like it's worth it you know the the cost is worth it the benefits worth it um and some of those things probably i think you know, being an athlete at this level, it takes a lot of time, you know, cycling takes a lot of time. So most of my life is dedicated to, you know, training and performing and and a lot of time on the bike and a lot of time for recovery, especially as I've gotten older, that recovery becomes more and more important. And it's not like, you know, I can't go out in the evenings. Like if I have friends that are like, Hey, can you, can you come over? You want to go hang out? You know, it's like, there's a cost to that because it impacts my recovery. It impacts my sleep. So, it's mostly stuff like that. Um, you know, there's family events and, and family time and things that I've missed, um, purely in focusing on what I've wanted to do. Um, and then, I mean, probably just the time component and how it's taken me away from other things that I might be interested in, in doing, but, um, it's been worth it. It's been valuable. And there's been, um, a lot of cool um, opportunities that have come along because I've stayed in the sport too.
0: Right. And I mean, when I think about the span of your career, I think about, you know, you have these ties back to like HP Women's Challenge and this era of uh, women's cycling that, you know, doesn't exist anymore and it's morphed and it's grown and it's changed into so many different um, sports. And so, I mean, I I just think that's such a cool element of your journey as well.
2: Yeah. You know, I, it's cool to think that, I, yeah, I'm 46. So I've competed over decades um, and I've competed against multiple generations of top athletes. And it's fun to think about that. It's fun to know that I've still been in the mix and been competitive against generation after generation. Um, and it's been cool to see the sport evolve, too, on the women's side and how different it is now versus back in 2001 and also how, how similar it is.
0: That's great. Cool. Amber, well, I'll let you get back to it. But um, thanks again. And let's touch base before world's.
2: Okay. Sounds good, Fred. Thanks.
0: All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Okay. Now joining us on the podcast, it's Haley Batten, back from Tokyo, where she was ninth place in the women's cross-country race. Haley, thanks for coming on the pod.
3: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to have a little chat.
0: Yeah, me too. I want to talk to you all about your experience in Tokyo, the race, the course, the rain, the this, that, and the other. But before we get to that, I mean... When you were recording this uh, about a week after the race, like what are, what's your overall perspective on the experience now that you've had a, wee- a week or so to kind of reflect on it?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, we all kind of build up some version of the Olympics in our head, and I think um, I don't think I actually did that too much. I always knew that I wanted to go, but I never really defined what it would look like, and I think I'm happy about that because I think in in 2021 it looked a lot different than I than I think we all expected. And um, yeah, just there was so much that went on just to make that Olympics happen and so much uncertainty of whether or not it really would. And I think overall, I just had the most special experience. I really did just the support that I experienced from my friends and my family and just the whole, you know, just going to Japan, which I've never been or experienced even a glimpse of that culture. So I still feel like I got a taste of that. And it was it was amazing. It really was. And I think there's something about living out a, a goal that you have and a dream that so many people have from a young age and just to be there and really be living that moment. I think um, I really embrace that experience fully. And I'm, I'm really, really grateful for the opportunity.
0: I think that's a healthy perspective to have in some of the conversations that I've been having last week um, around the topic of athlete mental health, which has become sort of the buzz topic of this Olympics. I've heard some perspective of, uh, from Olympians and their um, family members about how there's so much mental and emotional buildup to the Olympics that then when it's over, there's sort of a, uh, what next type of perspective that some athletes find and some athletes, uh, are able to work through that and it's okay. Others, it, it can be a hurdle for them. Um, where are you with that right now? This Olympics was such this huge goal. Um, and now you are back in your life, probably thinking about what is next. I'm really curious from a mental emotional perspective, how you are with that?
3: Yeah, gosh, no, that's definitely a tricky question. I think even going into it, just as any athlete, you kind of know that there's okay, I always hear that, you know, the the Olympics kind of creates this really high high and then afterwards you're just trying to figure out like how you want to Yeah, I mean I don't think you can control how you feel emotionally. Um, but no, for me, I think I've been really lucky. I think I just the whole I think just the whole season has been full of surprises for me where I've had Great performances, and I think they've never been—they've all been kind of a step forward in what I want to accomplish in the future. So I think for me, this Olympics was—it was a—it was, was a way to gain experience, and I learned so much, and I felt so much support, and um, I think the event itself was so so much more exciting and um, special than I would have ever predicted. So I think that for me was just such a joy, and then coming home, it just—it's kind of continued. Like I get to be with my family, I get to experience. You know share the stories with them and um just feel even more of that support and then like I think ninth place for me was kind of that perfect result where it wasn't you know anything too exciting where I'm get like have I'm really drained after the race or anything that was too far from what I hoped for or expected where I kind of have to kind of rebuild my hope or um just yeah, confidence again. So I think for me, it was a a really good result where I feel I'm proud of it, you know, as it was um, something that kind of puts me in the right direction towards what I hope to achieve in the future. So I think even though it was the Olympics, and it was this big dream that I had, it was also I think it just is kind of a step in the long path that I that I think uh, I want to have in in the rest of my career and the rest of my life. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. And I also think, you know, our season is kind of far from over. We have world championships in, in just a few weeks and uh, a couple more World Cups. So I think I've just kind of enjoyed this week to reset and not think about those races quite yet. But now I'm just kind of getting into that place where I'm actually really excited to get racing again. And I kind of have a few more goals I want to achieve.
0: Well, let's get into the nitty gritty of the racing. You know, so much of this race I felt like was defined by the course and the conditions. What was your initial perspective when you get there and you get to do your first pre-ride on the course? What stood out to you about the route?
3: Yeah, it's it's so funny there because you actually do a course walk. So, our whole team did a course walk. And going into the course walk, I was like, should I do the course walk? Like, I never do a course walk at any of the Olympics. Like, why would I do it now? Can I even walk that far? <laughs> like, So I was just kind of joking, but it was really cool to see it from that perspective because so many, you can really look at the rocks and the big features that they have there. And it's nice to look at what your whole line will be so that when there are a lot of crowds and a lot of people out during the the pre-ride on bikes, it's, I think it's easier to just kind of get through that lap and and kind of keep the keep the system and everything going in the whole process, because it is easy to just get really stuck on features. And there's so many big, challenging ones there that it takes a lot of time to really dial in. Um, but the course walk was also kind of funny because there's so many areas where there are these steep climbs where you're kind of coming out of these rollers. And you're And we're all joking that it seems like it's impossible to make it up. And I think I was lucky in a way too, where I actually didn't, I mean, pros and cons, I wasn't at the test event. So I'd kind of, I'd seen other athletes ride all the features I'd watched videos. I'd seen what the lines were. So I wasn't doing the first course walk that all those athletes did for the test event where they were, they were like, the boulders were so big and they were like, oh my gosh, can we even ride this? You know, cause they were, it was such a unique, unique course in that way. Um, So it was nice to have, you know, I was there with Kate and Aaron and Christopher. So they had all been at the test event, kind of knew what the best lines were. So that that kind of um, made that process a little bit easier for me. But overall, no, that course is incredible. There's so many technical, large features and steep climbs. um, And it's, yeah, I think it's very worthy of an Olympic track for sure. But um, yeah, definitely challenging to race on as well.
0: We were talking a lot about how heat and humidity was going to impact the race. And then a couple days beforehand, you start hearing about this giant storm heading your way. There's going to be rain. Um, What were how would you describe conditions when you woke up that morning and went to the course? Uh, How was it changed by the rain?
3: Yeah, it was really so different and all week it had been just getting more blown out like the corners there are only these like 180 degree corners in the forest where they're really loose and loamy but it turned just to like pure dust so really was like the the polar opposite from what we had ridden all week long and what the guys had raced in as well um so no waking up luckily we had all kind of heard that it was gonna be raining and you could check the forecast, but you never really know what's gonna happen. But it, it poured like all night, I think, and um the morning of I think it was still kind of drizzling and um the course was yeah, it was really slick, really wet. Uh they were changing the course literally all that morning leading up to our start time. So uh they the rocks there, it's not really a super grippy rock it's definitely more like a river rock so with a lot of those big features that they had i think they were worried that you kind of come in with speed and there's not there's some corners on the rocks and then also just yeah you just kind of roll right over them and i think that as the mud gets dragged onto them they definitely get a little scary and um those main a-lines they also it's way easier to ride down that rock than it is to walk down. So if there's any issues where somebody crashes, I think you're kind of stuck up there. Um, so they, yeah, they changed all the lines and we, most of the riders got out and did a lap the morning of the race because, uh, as part of our warm up, because it was so different and we had to, you know, change tires and, um, tire pressure and just learn new lines and they were changing the course the morning of. So no, it was so dramatic. And I think, uh, Yeah, kind of fit this whole 2021 Olympic theme, honestly. But it was, I mean, I love those conditions. And I think just mentally, you kind of have to flip the switch and be ready for anything. So that's what I try to do.
0: Uh, Give us your overall assessment of your race. Where do you feel like you were, um, you know, riding right up to your limit and where you're capable? And were there any points where you, you know, wish you'd had a, a do over?
3: Yeah, I mean,. Yeah, I think for me, yeah, overall I'm super happy I had the race that I think uh yeah, top 10 something I can be really proud of uh, and it shows a little bit consistency and some of the best in the world with some of the best in the world. But the course was really tricky because it didn't really have a good start loop. So it kind of went straight from pavement to a steep climb into a rock garden and we're all run I mean after the top 5 we were probably all running. So I think and then from there it's basically single track until you go again and then the rest of the course is either a big feature or a single track climb. So I think just allowing riders to move up or to change positioning based on how strong they are is really challenging. And that happens on, on a lot of mountain bike courses, but I think this one, it was definitely really tricky. So I think if that's the one thing I could do over, I wish I had the most amazing start in the world and that I didn't have to run that first rock garden because I think that, Kind of turned my race into, you know, it just kind of set riders where they were. And although some change could take place, if you were stronger, if you weren't as strong, you were kind of stuck in that same positioning because it was hard to pass on any of those features or, or steep climbs. So, um, luckily, you know, I felt pretty good. So I moved my way from, I think I was like 15th or something up tonight. But, um, yeah, the, the climbs there are really steep. And then between that, there are technical features. So. It's, uh, it's almost one pace on those steep climbs because they're so steep. But at the same time, if, if you don't feel as good, you're like running or um, if you do, you can make it up. So there's definitely spots that you can change your position. But other than that, I think it was that was another tricky part of the game, especially with the conditions that there were.
0: And I'm also curious if you have um, given much thought or what your thoughts are on the wider conversation around this Olympics as it pertains to athlete health and the topic of pressure. You know, pressure is so interesting when it comes to the Olympics because athletes put pressure on themselves, but then fans also put pressure on athletes. National federations put pressure on athletes. How an athlete deals with that pressure obviously determines how he or she is going to deal with that race. And I'm curious when you look at the cycle of pressure around the Olympics, if you feel like – do you think there's a, a different way about, about – Uh, doing it.
3: I think that's challenging because um, in general, I think just in in life in general, I think there's perspective of what a society or a culture believes is valuable or equal success. And I think at the same time, while there's there's this cultural or societal belief of how we should live or how, yeah, what defines success, um, I think we're always consistently battling or trying to find or discover who we are and who we want to be and how we're going to live our lives in a way that's fulfilling to us. And I feel like we do that in deciding what school we go to or um, who we love, or how we want to where we want to live. Um, And at the same time, I think, as an athlete, you choose to be an athlete, you know, versus any other career. And I think signing up, we know, that we're going to put that pressure on ourselves and we're consistently learning. What do we want to achieve? How, what is, what is a medal? What does it mean to us? Does it, is it more fulfilling than something in, you know, just in having a family or being um, happy in other ways. So I think that we're always trying to determine what we want in life and how we define ourselves by result, results, or if we do or, or don't. And I think that's just part of a life, you know, life and how how we explore our lives and how we and what we want to to be and feel um so i think that for me i as an athlete i'm always trying to figure out how i want to handle the pressure and why do i want a gold medal over or a bronze medal or a silver medal why do i work so hard for a medal instead of just a top 10 performance um so for me, I kind of separate my values from what a society or a culture wants. And I'm trying to clarify what those goals mean for me and make it personally meaningful for me and also have values beyond that result that will allow me to be okay if I don't get the medal. Um, so I think there is a consistent battle in everything that we do in life. That's, you know, the society or the culture versus this personal growth or, or finding ourselves in life as well. And, I think that it's we're, we we have the freedom to create our own perspective in life and that's totally up to us. So I understand like the cultural and societal, you know, pressures that there are, but at the same time our life is our own perception of how we live. So I think for me, I just try to create a life that I know why I place the pressures on myself and I know how these external pressures will affect me because that's kind of just the perspective that i i want to have in my life um so i think although it's it's really challenging and you have these external beliefs i think it's just part of life and it's um what we yeah it's it's defining our own successes and aligning those with what the world values as well but i i know yeah it's a challenging question no it
0: is and i, I appreciate that answer and and i think that it speaks to yeah the, you know a larger topic that we could go on and on about, which is the the mentality of an elite athlete versus the mentality of a regular person and how you fight, how those intersect and how those deviate. When you think of the totality of the pressure on you at Tokyo to win a medal or perform and do well, how much of that was pressure being put on by yourself and how much of it was from external forces like federation, fans, friends, etc.?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think we all know that we all, everybody's happy when, you know, we get a good result, you know, our, whether that's our sponsors or, you know, our family will be excited for us or, yeah, the media or exactly like you said, the, the federations, everybody will be. Um, but I think, I mean, I was kind of lucky because I went into this, it, you know, this Olympics as an athlete that, probably wasn't going to go in 2020 was kind of the youngest rider on the long team. Like nobody really knew if I would make the team. And then I had these standout results and everything, you know, from that has been like, Oh my gosh, like what a, what a surprise. Like this is, this is great. So I think I never had that. You need to win a medal at the, at your, you know, you're, your, your, I've always had that you're your lo- young. Like this is a learning experience, like go have your best ride. And, um, I'm, I think, so it'll be interesting what my answers are. If I, have, you know, an Olympics in the future. Um, But I think, uh, I think for me, most of the pressure came from myself and what I want to achieve and defining that for myself. But I think the people surrounding me, you know, like my family is a great example. They only, yeah, they're only happy for the result because I, yeah, because I care about the result. Um, But they would never be more proud of me based on the result that I come home with. Um, And the people closest to me are the same way, you know, they're happy for me because this is the pursuit in life that I enjoy and that I want to be part of. But the results are really, really most meaningful for me. So I guess, yeah, I don't really feel the external pressure so much. And maybe that's a choice. I'm just totally unaware of it. (laughs) But um, I think I also just didn't feel that as much or have that as much as other athletes. And most of that pressure to perform definitely comes from myself.
0: Well, Haley Benton, you've been a wonderful guest on the podcast. Thank you so much for being generous with your time. We're going to let you get back to the morning there in Santa Cruz where you no doubt have fun trails to shred on, maybe a little surf later, you know, just live that beach lifestyle. Um, but thank you so much. And, and congrats again on the on the great finish.
1: Yeah,
3: thank you so much for yeah for having me on and for asking such good questions. I appreciate it.